And welcome to the second half of the Ospreyathon that is the Meltzer Five Star Project. That is, let me tell you something, the pro wrestling podcast co-hosted by myself, Lorca Mullen, and your other let me tell you something co-host... Simon Cross. So as I said, Simon, we've had two Will Ospreay matches so far. They both took place in Asia. We're now into the second of three continents, although it's the same week as the previous match which was Osprey against Okada in the G1 Climax Final. Where are we? Who are we watching? And what are we watching them do? We're in York Hall in London to watch him, him being, of course, Will Osprey, defend the Rev Pro Championship against Ricky Knight Jr., a man of fine wrestling pedigree on these shores. Well, we're not talking in the Hunterhurst Helmsley, Greenwich, Connecticut kind of pedigree. No. No, we're... <laughs> I mean, where to start with the Knight family? <laughs> Probably best not to get started with them. No. But, at the end of the day, he is a it's seemingly rather talented second-generation wrestler. Is Third-generation. Third-generation, I do apologise. His father is Roy Knight, a.k.a. the Zebra Kid, who is someone that I was aware of when... The UK scene was starting to get a bit of a following in the FWA times of the early 2000s. Mm. With figures like Jodie Fleisch, Johnny Storm, Doug Williams, Alex Shane. And he was part of that as the Zebra Kid. I remember he actually feuded with his dad, Ricky Knight. Because the Zebra Kid was Roy Knight. And so it's Roy Knight's son, so he must have been very young when he had him. In Ricky Knight Jr. And so Ricky Knight Jr. is actually the his grandfather's Ricky Knight. So it's kind, ah. of a, it's kind of a Rey Mysterio Jr. situation where it's not actually his dad that was named Rey Mysterio Sr. Right, I'm with you. I'm with it's, you. <laughs> it's all kinds of, of confusing. Well, uh, you've got now in Mexico, you've got El Hijo Dr. Wagner Jr. The son of the junior. <laughs> Right, okay, okay, all right, fine. I guess it's branding, if nothing else. <laughs> yes, it is, and it's three initials, so that always helps you when it comes to the chanting. Yeah, uh, of which there's a good mixed level of chanting, I would say, at the start of, um, during the entrances of this match, anyway. So it's funny, we've had three parts of Will Ospreay's time as the Rev Pro British heavyweight champion covered in this five-star project. We had his title victory against Zack Sabre Jr. at the start of 2020, before all of the COVID lockdowns and everything. And then earlier this year, we had him defending the title against Michael Oku. Yep. A successful defense for him, and a real proper, he's the true evil man of, of pro wrestling, is how he was presented in that match. Very much a dominant heel in that yes, match. Yes, the alpha of the British wrestling scene, since Zack doesn't really take part in it anymore. And he is presented as sort of this level above. 
And now, to give it all away, we've reached the end of the title reign with this match. Losing it to Ricky Knight Jr. Because I did wonder, like, how are you going to present it with Osprey? Because there's always a politics to how champions in other promotions are allowed to be treated in lesser promotions against their local talent. Mm. Like, whoever was the Ring of Honor world champion at the time, when they would accept indie bookings, they couldn't basically get pinned or beaten by someone in their local promotion whilst they were the Ring of Honor champion. So, like, Samoa Joe couldn't lose to anyone on the indie scene. Yeah. Brian Danielson couldn't lose to anyone. Michael Elgin actually lost the title with Ring of Honor because he lost a Battle of Los Angeles match whilst Ring of Honor champion. (laughs) That contributed to it. There are many reasons to take a title off of Michael Elgin. That wasn't necessarily the highest reason, but it's the one that they had. It's the one they put down on paper. Yeah, John Walters, I remember, got uh, removed from the pure championship as quickly as possible after he just essentially wrestled as a jobber on WWE Raw, I think, against Umaga or someone. Ah, okay. Wasn't um, Dragon Gate very protective of Pac? Yes. Yes, there were two other promotions. There were lots of rules when he was first coming back. I don't know how involved he is now with Dragon Gate because of that. But there will obviously be rules of how Pax presented with the All-Atlantic Championship now as he travels around the world defending that. Well, he's, in, he's holding two sets of gold. Double champs. Double champs, your shits, or whatever it was he puts. <laughs> you can take the Geordie out to Newcastle. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I, I did love Eddie Kingston's begrudging like respect tweet with a two-pack backing track. Yes. And... So I was somewhat surprised, but I also did remember that there's, because it's how New Japan like to play into their narratives, that very often after someone's taken a devastating loss, that leaves them susceptible to another loss very soon afterwards. Like when Okada lost the IWGP title at Dominion to Kenny Omega, his next high-profile singles match was in England against Zack Sabre Jr. I think that was sort of the debut of Red Hair coke binge <laughs> balloon okada and he also lost that match but it was to a surprise cradle but it's like that idea of it being a part of his descent or like after jay white lost the wrestle kingdom main event to kota Ibushi, they had him get pinned by tomohiro ishii on the next like new year's dash yeah. type show so there's that sense you're in the doldrum so i suppose the way that they booked this was he's not fully in his head still because of the whole okada situation Mm. the night before this he had successfully defended it as well against michael bailey so there's also that sense going in that they do say in commentary that he's like truly trying to like burn the candle at both ends he's yes put on a punishing schedule the likes of which no one else is having to do they highlight that at a key point in the match as well it's after well they call it london bridge but it's like that Randy Orton draping style DDT from the apron to the floor as well. So it's like it's a big devastating move. And then they go, and don't forget, he's done all of these things. He's knackered. <laughs> that was one of the fascinating things with how Ricky Knight Jr. was presented in this whole match. I feel like it's inevitable fairly early on in his title reign with the way that he wrestles, the way that he presents himself, and the way of his character. And the way that this match was presented, I would assume pretty early on into whatever, however long this title reign is, or you know his place now as more the top guy in the British wrestling scene, now Osprey's gone as a full-time fixture, mm. seemed a lot more heelish 
than anything else. Yeah. He he looks like a heel. He lo- he looks very much like um a slimy like arrogant character. And he didn't play one here, but like you you look at that man and that that to me that is instinctively how you would book him. So I'll be honest right now, I don't see a five-star match in this and I don't see one that's close to a five-star match in it really. It felt like a real it's a step down from what Osprey and Zack Sabre can do because they're just two of the most. Well, there's levels to this, yeah, isn't there? Levels of yes, but if you, if if I'm coming in expecting to see a five star match, I expect it to be of that level. Yeah, I guess we had our issues with Oku. Insofar as it was just some little things that he didn't do quite right, there were some bits that were off. His timing. Sometimes he didn't look like an equal in the ring, either physically, but also in in what he could do in the ring compared to Osprey. Yeah. And that feels very much the same with Ricky Knight in this match. What Ricky Knight's able to do is execute moves very well. He does lots of big moves in this match. He does like that draping DDT. He he does a razor's edge, you know, a a, a crucifix powerbomb. He does a reverse runner. He does... (laughs) He does lots of really impressive moves, and he takes lots of moves really well as well. But he's nowhere near the finished article yet. No. To me. There were some issues I had, especially with his facial expressions. And the way that I can say it is, you know how they say acting is reacting? Yes. I think a lot of the time he wasn't necessarily reacting. Like, there's moments where it's like the focus isn't on him necessarily, but the camera's... He's in view of the camera. And it doesn't feel like he's reacting in that moment. It feels like he's working in his head. He's thinking of all the things he's got to do. Mm. He's not reacting to the situation. When he's being hurt, he doesn't look like he's selling necessarily. When he's in a, you know, when he's in control or whatever, at various points, it doesn't feel like he's in control. Now, I've, I've gone down the way of criticising it too much the other way, that sometimes Will Ospreay will overact, or you know, the overacting part of wrestling that I can't go for, or like Matt Jackson or something. Yeah. But there's moments where it feels like Ricky Knight Jr. is outside of his character and outside of the match. Outside of his character, probably harsh, but outside of the match, he's just thinking through the process. He's he's got it in there. He'll apply. He'll he'll probably get better at this even subconsciously without realizing he's doing it. I watched him and I was like, "This is a guy that's clearly a few steps below him, and he can do the pieces, but he can't necessarily put them together yet." Which is what Will Ospreay can do now that he probably couldn't necessarily do four or five years ago. And a lot of this is presenting Ricky Knight as being the future in the same way that Will Ospreay was the future five years earlier. That is a very good point. It is the literally, I think, the biggest match of his career he's in at the minute. So of course, yeah. There's going to there's gonna be some nerves, and there's going to be, you know, you want to make sure you get it right. Of course you would. It's your coronation. But you play that in your character being nervous, or you don't. Or your nerves overtake you. It's like being part of it. It's like I said how I love watching... You mean like steering into the skid kind of thing? Kind of, if you don't want to be so gross about it. But it's like... Not that kind of skid. Oh, okay, fair enough. But it's like one of the good examples I give is how Sean Waltman played a plucky underdog who might have been a bit out of his depth still when he was playing the 1-2-3 kid in 93-94. Because he'd done the stuff on the indie scene and he'd been a slimy heel and he'd been a, you know, plucky babyface and everything. But then when he goes to WWE, he's like an elevated jobber 
that's got the raw potentials but is susceptible to making mistakes and is nervous. Like, he mm. plays nervous in the ring. Like, when he's in that match with Razor Ramon. There's none of that really in Zack... There's some of it, but not as good of it in Zack Sabre Jr. And the fact that, you know, then he can reinvent himself as X-Pac or Six, you know, the bratty, yeah. cocky little prick. And then with X-Pac varying between obnoxious jerk or, you know, hard... Try, you know, biggest heart. Yeah, yeah. Baby I mean, face. Obviously, I'd, I'm coming in cold to Ricky Knight Jr. Yeah, like, that doesn't help either. Yeah, that doesn't help either. That we, we don't know anything about him outside of this and the family name. He reminds me a lot of Plan B. A little bit, little bit. Sad love, boy, love you so. <laughs> you just wanted to work that in, didn't you? Well, you know. I do like the amount of like old school crotching at the start of this match. You don't see like two straight crotch bots <laughs> quite so quickly in a match. I, and it's, it is nice to see another side of Will. Because he, he, he does have to be different in this. He he is the Commonwealth Kingpin, but he's 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 more than that to Rev Pro, obviously. He, he's his own... It's his own slant. It's his own, like... Well, view yeah. of things. He's the one everyone's gunning for within Rev Pro, whereas in New Japan, he's one of the people still gunning for Okada. Yeah. Like, he's in sort of the position that Ricky Knight Jr.'s in in Rev Pro, although Osprey has more achievements to his name in New Japan than Ricky Knight has so yeah. far. Yeah. And the commentators do make that comparison in the match. And obviously, Will invites that by hitting the Rainmaker as well. Like, it's clear that Okada is still living in his head rent free. Well, it's funny how much he replays a lot of the finish, you know, even down to doing the Kenny Omega. Like, throughout the whole week, the whole run of this show we've got, he's somewhat obsessed with Kenny Omega. <laughs> and he does do the Dominion spots again with the V-trigger into the ropes. And we'll see that even again in next week's episode. Yeah, I think, I think long-term they're sowing the seeds for maybe that to be one of the headline matches for Forbidden Door 2. Or possibly Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, the talent trade could go the other way. But that is fascinating that we're seeing this story of this character carry on over three separate promotions over the course of this series of matches that we're talking about. Mm. Osprey is a once-in-a-generation talent for what he can do physically. Like, Ricky Knight can't match him for that. Yeah. But Ricky Knight is good within himself. But there's obviously going to be a step-down in quality of matches in Rev Pro and also in profile of matches in rev pro when he takes over putting all your you know all your chips on a 21 year old is a hell of a risk obviously i think the night name probably gives them more faith in him mm. and he's got a good look he's got a good size for a 21 year old what he can do in the ring is pretty amazing yeah he, he will never match what will osprey can do physically because he's not got that ridiculous like gymnast level athleticism that osprey has mm. But I think they've got him down as like he debuted ten years ago. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe we've got to start making rules about this age that British wrestlers can get started. It's well, getting a bit out of hand. That, that came obviously with everything to do with speaking out. That conversation was had quite recently, and yeah, obviously you you don't want children taking bumps, but I I, I guess at the grassroots level, it's it's a different. This is just a different vibe, but that's that's no excuse, but it. It's just what's happened, I guess. 
They used to let children work and go up chimneys. Just because it's something you've done doesn't mean it's something you continue doing. <laughs> yeah. Tradition isn't like the instruction manual for now, shall we say. We don't get the f- incredible in-ring work that you get from Saber Osprey, nor do you get as big a, a story, like emotionally driven maybe somewhat too over the top, but operatic storytelling like there was in the Oku match. Yeah. Like, Oku match was bringing out an emotional response. This one, it's more just, again, identikit, throw in all the spots that you get in these five-star matches and just you have it at various points. You have... The Crowd new... 50-50 into, it, um, into both guys as well. Well, that's like... just wrestling fans in general. They, they don't book it. They don't, they don't wrestle that way. It's just that's what wrestling fans do. But it's But I mean things like... One of them bleeds. Yeah. One of them, they do. They both not work themselves so hard that they end up head to head, and then they start exchanging headbutts and elbows. Someone hits a reverse rana. They hit each other's finishing moves. They reference other other wrestlers and other parts. Someone does a Canadian destroyer. You know, it's like all these things that we need to see in a twenty twenty two. This is awesome kind of match you're saying there was there was a bit of a, a touch of the uh tick box to this there's a touch of the ikea five star match you know? <laughs> yeah I, obviously well the point i was making with the 50 50 stuff is the oku because that had such a heavy layer of underdog story that that didn't have the 50 50-ness to it at least not that i can remember that doesn't mean like a great match has to have 50 50 or not have 50 50 no it's just, this is the typical 50-50 stuff you get in all these matches now. But my, po- my point is, the crowd didn't seem fully into the 50-50 stuff. It just seemed like they were just there just to watch. That's fans feeling like they have to make four-syllable chants. That's the fans feeling like they've got to do certain things, whereas I would rather just cheered and booed. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't feel like the loudest it could have been. Well, it's a smaller crowd. You know, your call only holds so many people anyway. It didn't seem as rabid a crowd either as the Oku match. Again, I agree with you there. That's my point. I also think that we did hear one unique and very London chant when, again, like I said, Ricky Knight doing another sort of heel spot. Although, to be fair, it's Osprey that brings the belt in because we get two referee bumps in the match. And Osprey brings in the ridiculously oversized belt. <laughs> Tries to hit. Knight with it doesn't. Knight hits him with the belt and then lies on top of it, like the version of the Eddie Guerrero sort of thing. Yeah. And when the ref's not looking, he's able to push it out of the ring. And Osprey's complaining, saying he hit me with the belt, and the crowd is like saying, No, he didn't. And then we hear the very London chant of, We saw nothing. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not having a go at it. I'm just saying there was one. I thing did, that was I a did little like bit the ref going, "Why aren't you pinning him?" <laughs> to uh, Ricky Knight Jr. and just failing to understand what was going on. <laughs> no, but you've also got. Uh, I I quite I liked it, and then they almost undid it where they're doing the spot where Osprey does the Michino- where they're fighting on the apron, and he ends with Osprey hitting the Michinoku driver through the table on the outside, and he wants the count out win, and the ref says, "I'm not going to count him out." Because you know, you've just put him for a table. Yeah. But then he does start counting him immediately after. Yeah. And then we get the spot that was really cliched a few years ago, and now they don't do as much, which is the long count outs. And 
it's weird because he gets in at nine, but it's like not even because of the way the camera's positioned. To be fair to Ricky, we don't see any kind of struggle to get up to his feet. Yeah, we just see nothing. We see nothing, and then at nine he pops up and runs in well, the ring. You, you see at seven, one of the seconds throw up the X sign, obviously to like feed into that. Oh, uh, Ricky's calling for medical attention, kind of thing. But that, that's it. Yeah, you're right. Camera angle wise, Ricky got done dirty there. So then you go into all the reversals and everything. Oh, there was one thing I texted you at one point. Is hitting Will Ospreay with a reverse runner. The 2022 equivalent of trying to hit Kimmon with a powerbomb. It's just not going to work out well for you. Mm. Because it's literally, again, a repeat of the Okada spot from the G1 final. Hits it. Ospreay's out on his feet in, in front of him. So he just falls into a hidden blade on him. Yeah. And again, the hidden blade is sort of getting overdone as a move insofar as its effectiveness. And half the time he's hitting them in front of their face, so it's not very hidden. It took a battering here in terms of, like, credibility for a finisher. Uh, It's very much now what the AA was during the John Cena US Open Challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He does do, though, the Oku thing of, like, Ricky Knight being sort of out and he's just hitting elbows and he's flat out on his front. Yeah, but again, it's not so you like the teasing of stoppage, but then nothing happens to undo the stoppage. Yeah, it's just him being harsh at one point, and I think there is like one medical check, which leads to Will trying to hit a hidden blade, which gets countered because of how long it's like how long he's sort of had to recover, um, Ricky Knight Junior. But it just doesn't. There's loads of little bits, but nothing really that. Pl- it's all very nice, but it doesn't really plug into each other that smoothly. Are you saying it's lacking that connective tissue? Mark it off your bingo cards. I queued you up there. <laughs> but it is, like, and it's referencing better matches as well. Um, it's referencing the Oku match. It, it's referencing the Okada match. Um... And so this just feels like a facsimile of it. It feels like like it's not a million miles from a match that two people who are big fans of Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada and, and all those other people would, would do to try and mm. gain attention. But, you know, I'm really being harsh. I'd li- I like this match enough, but I would give it like three and three quarter stars. I found it to be fun, but yeah. obviously... When we, when we look at it under this scope, and, and as you've alluded to, earlier on with with the quality of not even just five star matches on display but specifically will osprey five star matches on on display this this isn't at the top table i was gonna say one of my notes was gonna be i don't see how you can watch the okada g1 match and then watch this match and give them the same rating but mm. i remember Meltzer didn't give them the same rating he gave the okada osprey match like five and three quarter stars yeah and so this is why it's like, no, you give that match five stars, you give this something below five stars. We've we've had that talk yeah. about about the yeah. Uh, yeah. rating system. We don't need to get into it again. Yeah. But it's starting to frustrate me, I suppose, probably because we're doing so many of these now, and I just don't think it warrants it. Yeah. But on the flip side, think about all the... When we did do the Meltzer Five Star Project, and we did cover the uh, early 2000s, all well, those ones, yeah. all those alternatives we did, which a lot of people would say probably should be fives if, if this is the system now. Yeah. 
it's just, you know, we've been through it all. As long as we keep doing this series, we can't really keep repeating ourselves, but that's where we are. I mean, look, the whole thing about our complaints about a lot of these matches is they're repeating themselves, so we're sort of stuck in, the, we're stuck in this loop. We're stuck in a Oh, God, are of, we meta? Is that what's know. happened? We've never not been meta, Simon. Oh. Oh, I mean, no, you know, no. the amount of money we've been paid as actors to vocalise all this stuff. <laughs> Oh, I knew I shouldn't have took percentage points. One thing I did like, it was, a, and again, I wonder if it was a deliberate callback because that was what they would do in the Osprey Zack Sabre matches. When Ricky Knights hits a soup kick at one point, Osprey holds on to the foot. Yeah. Which was something that Zack was always trying to do to Will in their matches, I remember. And there's something else that you've just reminded me of. Like,. Ricky Knight's like biting and scratching. Yes, that was it. Yes, that was something I forgot to write down. Another heel thing, yeah. Yeah, but again, not really consistent. Well, I don't mind that because I think it's the whole thing is that Ricky Knight's a dirty fighter. Yeah. You know, and and kind of given that he's a knight, that kind of plays into what the knight's image is in wrestling anyway. That's uh, true, that's true. It, again, it's similar to Orton, isn't it? And there is history between these two wrestlers in Rev Pro that we just don't know the ins and outs of. This is the third time, I think, that Knight's a challenge for the title. Yeah. And Osprey sees him as an upstart, and Ricky Knight sees Osprey as like an arrogant guy that needs to be brought down. And yeah. that he is the true true inheritor of his uh, mantle. And they were saying he's like always oh, the biggest kept secret in British wrestling. I think I might, I think he might stay sort of kept within British wrestling for a while. I can't see like New Japan snapping him up or anything. No, um, but he's twenty one. Yet, young. yet that's again. I think he needs to step into his character and those things like him biting and scratching when in the submission hold. The fact that he can execute all these moves. The fact that he does have some, he does have p- charisma. And he does have a, an interesting look that he'll grow into more. He's got the frame. He's got the size. Yeah. He's clearly a decent height. He's a, he's of equal height to Osprey, and uh, pretty much as as filled out a physique as Osprey has, just not as defined or honed. But it's not like flabby mm. or anything. Well, it's a little tiny bit flabby, but God, I'd live to have a physique that flabby. I was going to say, um, glass you don't need to say. <laughs> But yeah, I think Ricky Knight is destined to be a heel champ now, very soon mm. into his run, and probably maybe Michael Oku will get his v- validation. But I felt like the way that that match was presented, unless there was a... And I assume, given that they didn't get a five-star rating, neither of the Ricky Knight-Osprey matches had like a finish to match that that was so emotive with the you know figures from the crowd. And again, would you dare bring the Knight family into the front row? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the amount of stuff that they were having um, Ricky Knight kick out of was getting to Cole Gargano levels. Uh, yeah. Again, we alluded to it earlier. The Hidden Blade took took a battering in this match in terms of credibility. But we did see a one-winged angel get hit. Yeah. It was when, again, Osprey again is being undone by his need to do other people's stuff and not having the confidence within himself, I suppose. The fact that he does the same mistake again as the one he did with Okada. Is it 
is it is it a confidence thing or is it an is it a I'm trying to prove I am better than Kenny thing? Well, isn't by that defined by your confidence, your ego? Suppose, yeah, they are interwoven, I guess. And then he hits his Kishi driver and gets the surprise three. I was surprised that it was like a decisive move. I think, and I think they knew that people thought. He's probably going to win this because we're going into the two years and Osprey needs to just drop that belt. Yeah. But it was like when he did, um, the Osprey went for the hidden blade and he turns it into a backslide. I think they knew that people would bite on that because they think if Knight's going to win, it will probably be with like a pinning package. Something shocking and surprising. Yeah. That gives Os- that gives Osprey an out. I think that's one of the reasons the belt shot gets booed so much is because they're like, oh, not like this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't really have much more to say about this match. I liked it. Nowhere near five stars to me. I'll be curious to see where Ricky Knight is in a few years' time. Osprey's having a hell of a week, although I don't think I've given any of them five stars. I've come close with Okada. Mm. And I'll ask you something about Osprey at the end of the next episode. I keep meaning to ask you it, but it will make You're teasing it, but it's coming. It's coming. But what is that match that's coming, Simon, for next week at the end of our Osprey-a-thon? The quadrilogy comes to a conclusion. That is a, a match taking a place on an episode of AEW Dynamite in their trios tournament. Bear with us. We know, we know, we know obviously everything that's happened, but we're going back in time to, to just the enjoyable side of it all. We are talking about a match with the United Empire, which consists of a, the combination of Will Ospreay and Aussie Open, taking on the Elite. Obviously, that is. The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega in a fetching compression shirt. But there's nothing left to say except if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, with any kinds of fetching athletic gear to help both cover up your injuries and your dignity, how can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending the Simon Cross free, free for the number of referees they should have had in place for this match. <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L. A for the A at the end of era, because it's the end of an era. And N for the N in night. And yes, again, I know there's a silent K. <laughs> that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put it at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you fancy throwing us a few pennies to pay for our Rev Pro subscriptions and all the other things that we need to have in order to keep ourselves up to date with these very logically rated matches by Dave Meltzer, then <laughs> throw some money our way on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Even though your week might be three and three quarter stars, act as if it's a five star time. Until the next time.